Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. Well, listeners, we missed celebrating a major milestone last week. This is now episode two of season two, and it wouldn't be possible without you. Thank you. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Daryl Evans. Daryl, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Kamala. Appreciate you having me here. I'm Daryl Evans. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Yoko Local Internet Marketing uh, here out of Las Vegas. And uh, really for the last 30 years, I've been an entrepreneur over five or six different ventures. But in the last 11 years at our agency, we've been helping small and mid-sized companies scale their online presence as, uh, as far as revenue and lead generation growth is concerned. And I spent a lot of my time doing that as well as some uh, consulting inside projects. Wonderful. And before we hit record, I mentioned that I'm on the road, so there may be a little extra noise, but I was also just in your neck of the woods. We were in Lake Mead last oh. week, and now we're back down in Arizona. But yeah, no, it's a gorgeous area. Nice yeah, weather yeah. too in the winter. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It, we were 32 this morning, 30, 32 this morning, which is a little low for us, but it gets up to 52, 3, 4, 5 pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then for part of the week, at least it was in the 70s, so you really can't beat that. No. <laughs> awesome. So I'm excited because we're going to talk about uh, a pretty, let's just say it's an area that marketers have to focus quite a bit. And we don't always know how to turn up the volume on these things. And it's demo requests. Mm. So I would love to talk first about the demands marketers see for more demo requests from sales. Then we're going to veer more into why demo requests could be problematic in general on the sales side. But before we jump into that, let's talk about maybe one of your favorite topics, which is conversion optimization. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so conversion optimization, I very, I'm very fortunate that I started my marketing and sales career entrepreneurship in, the, in my 20s. At a time when the internet was, it was, you know, internet was just getting started, but everything was still analog. It was still offline. It was traditionally direct mail. It was face to face. It was uh, classified ads. You know, I didn't do a lot of television billboard and stuff like that, but, but I, I understood at an early age, this idea that we could come up with the strategy, the creative, the target audience and execute that. And then we had a, an open loop on the other end. Because you could literally, if you put something in a newspaper, the newspaper distribution was 300,000 on a week, right? I knew that number. So I knew my impression number if I use a digital term today. But what I also knew was I knew how many people interacted with my ad by way of calling me because that was today's demo request, right? Back then, you had to call a professional service provider because there wasn't this thing called the internet where you could go Google everything all night or YouTube it all night. So you had to come to, at this time, by the way, I'm in the real estate industry. You had to come to me to get access to information because the multiple listing service was a book back then as opposed to, and I'm only 51 for your listening audience. I'm not this Methuselah dude who's so old. Like, But literally, there was no Zillow. There was no Trulia. There was no Realtor.com. It was a phone book looking thing that came out once a month. Having said all that, it taught me quickly that though someone would inquire about a home that they saw with a sign in the yard, that it did not mean they wanted to buy it. It was simply that they were either in the neighborhood and they owned a home close to it and they wanted to find out what it was selling for and it wasn't available. Access to information wasn't available. Two, maybe they saw that we had an open house there and they were curious with the price. I mean, it just meant 
they were inquiring, right? Mm -hmm. So now if they were also saying, I'd like to see the house, it didn't necessarily mean they wanted to buy the house. So I guess at an early stage, and then I moved it through the next couple of businesses that I had up until the early 2000s when I went into the mortgage industry, and I just learned how to understand buyer's behavior and the reasons for inquiries and the variations of what we call the stages of awareness today. And that is just because they took a step that appears to be at the bottom of the funnel doesn't mean that they're not really at the top of the funnel. And for some odd reason, they're not looking for answers to questions, whether that's a near-term decision they're trying to make or if it's just a pipe dream idea that they were just curious, just like, you know, we walk on car lots back in the day. Uh, that's another thing we don't do a lot of today. Back in the day, if you go to a car lot, you got jumped on like, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I don't miss that. <laughs> I mean, nobody does because mm -hmm. sales just did it wrong. Yeah. And I think the challenge today with, with online is that there's still some of that old methodology still lingering in the online space if we're selling software or professional services, that the minute we get this demo request or free consultation request or whatever the lower tier conversion is at the bottom, seemingly, and we're not approaching it with all of the other var uh, varieties or variables that it could pos uh, possibly be. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and something to think about because we see consistently, most of the businesses I've been at, the, the demo request was the highest converting into an opportunity. And there's like two questions that pop into my mind. One, are salespeople quicker to turn that into an opportunity because there's a perceived value associated with the demo request? Like, should they really be converting at that point? And then the second thing I always wonder is if expectations are in alignment, like you just said. So why are they really asking for this demo? And is the sales team doing their job qualifying this opportunity, which is why we have banned so many other sales yeah. methodologies? Yeah. You know, I've got some insight that I, I think will be helpful. I sit in uh, a mastermind with uh, 17 multi, multi seven figure business owners. And what I hear them say, and this is what I think a lot of people at the demo level sales can, can take away from. And it's not just that, it's the 11 years I have as a company owner, working with hundreds and hundreds of businesses to help them grow. A lot of decision makers are very self-reliant on making decisions, if, especially if it's a major decision. Now we're not talking about maybe a $7 a month piece of software, that may not be the thing, but if it's an operational change, if it's gonna change systemically how we use the business, you don't. You just don't change and jump from one CRM to another CRM when you've been on one forever. You just those are big decisions. Here's what I hear: the business owner may send a scout. It's my word for it. They'll send a scout ant. Remember, think about ants, right? They'll send a scout to see if there's something available. So they may send a a junior person to go gather some information. But what I'm hearing them say is that a lot of companies have these walls up where you can't get all the information unless you come to the demo call. And here's what I've been told. And I mean, it helped me change how we do some of the things in our agency. Even They said, Daryl, if I can buy a Tesla without ever talking, if I can buy a $100,000 car without talking to anybody, why in mm -hmm. the heck can I buy your marketing services? Right. Yeah. Uh, another person in the same room, he was needing to buy a high level Shopify product at the high uh, e uh, enterprise level. And he knew it, he'd already done the research. He knew it was gonna cost $2,500 a month based on what he found. 
And it took eight days to get a salesperson on the line because they mandated they go through this demo call. So while a demo call can indicate that there's a high probability of an opportunity, we also have to remember there's a lot of friction today because of our old sales methodologies. Like sometimes we have to make it easier for our best customers to buy because they are they've already done a lot of the research ahead of time. And I don't like to get into too many of the statistics, but it's something, depending on what you read, 70 to 80% of the real buyers have already made the decision. They just need to get across the finish line. But a lot of times we put these walls up, like got to have a demo before we can buy and all this other stuff. Uh, We're a HubSpot partner and HubSpot's no different. Like we, you know, like, can we make it a little easier to do some of this stuff? And so I think we have to just understand Buyers go through different maturation processes in their decision-making processes. There are different buying styles as well. BANT works. I love BANT, but also we have to realize there are different types of buyers. Some people just want to make a quick decision. I need the nuts and bolts and that's it. Because once I've decided I need a solution, I can't be on an hour-long thing to go through every... Like I might need a question or two answered. And I think sometimes that could be helpful from a, an FAQ or help desk. Yeah. And I was just thinking, if you have access to intent data, you can actually see how much somebody has been doing research. So let's say Certainly. you're B2B and you're on G2. You can actually get intent data saying which other competitors they've been researching, what kind of information they've been getting. I think that's a really good point about all the hoops we make people jump through to get to pricing, which we're totally guilty of and has the wheels turning. We may, we may undo that, but I'm wondering if there's something more attractive than a demo request, or is it really training sales in how they view this interaction? Like, is there something we can do to arm the sales team to handle things a little bit more elegantly once the handover takes place? I I think it's a little bit of both, right? I, if I start on the sales side, which is where I sort of cut my my teeth in the whole space. And I worked my way back up the marketing side of the ladder, really because of some of the, just the bad sales practices I was taught. I mean, sure they worked and you had to do them back then, but I'm just like, this isn't human. There's no empathy in this process. It's all about me, not them. And so I'm always like, listen, what can we do to meet them where they are? So I love the word that you used intent. Like that's what software and tech can do for us today is really give us a, a glimpse into their mouse behavior and sort of their digital footprint. And you can use that accordingly. And of course you can do it simply, or you can get a little complex with it. I usually advise people try to master simple before they get complex, but there's hidden intent data points in just about every great piece of analytics software, whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's Google analytics, whether it's a a big Adobe product or you and I, you, you know, Marketo HubSpot, all of them have them. But the question is, is are we willing to, be cognizant of that user's individual behavior. And I get it. A lot of salespeople have sales goals and quotas. And if you're funded, you know, I get it. There's pressure, but you've got to make the most of the reason why they were there in the first place, right? So if you're in some niche where it's just not a random happen, they didn't just randomly land on your website, like start to look at that behavior. And a lot of it, if, if you've offered them something that would help them solve a problem, even before buying your product, which is something that we believe in, and that is help that person solve a problem without your product and uh, build trust that way, right? So, you know, you hear the opt-in offers and things of that nature. I just don't believe free trials solve a problem. I think they're a free look period. They just, you know, the demo doesn't solve a problem. So can we help the person solve a problem 
before we actually move them into a sales conversation, I have found that that's a, a very advantageous way to build a little bit more trust and then see if they're engaging with that resource. Quick example, I work with uh, software companies as well. And that is, what if we can just figure out a way to solve a problem for them? Maybe it's a part of your solution that they don't need your solution for. Show them a way to solve it without your solution. Put that as an opt-in. I know a lot of people are big on webinars and these kind of things. I've also got tons of statistics around webinars and how top-level decision-makers aren't giving you 60 minutes on a webinar anymore. Not Heck today. No. No. They're just not, <laughs> right? So webinars had their time. I think they're, they're okay. But what can you do and help them solve a micro-problem? And then watch how they engage with that micro solution. Here's a perfect example. We love three to five part email sequences behind an initial three to five minute video. What do we do? We try to solve one specific problem that we know they're having. If we can help them solve this problem with or without our help, then we can give them some idea that maybe we understand where they're coming from. And that if this solution helps you, and you have what you would hopefully know is their next problem, then that you can look and see if they engage. Obviously, email, open rates, click-through rates. Did they watch your video? Did they not watch your video? Those are three or four. Those are three other data points that add to the conversation in your CRM, in your data set, so that you can kind of get an idea. Now, if that person jumps on a demo call versus someone who just hit the website... <laughs> has interacted with two whole pages. Um, now, it doesn't mean that they couldn't have been, their cookie couldn't have been wiped away and they've already been in your site 25 times. But I've noticed that when we execute this type of sequencing, someone who gets through, there's this one sequence I can think of that we almost use holistically in some way, shape or form. If they get to the fifth email, it's going to lead to a demo or consultation call if it's a service business. And that person is likely ready to buy. And it's a different type of situation than the person who maybe is just in comparison mode, but you've got a wall up so they can't really see how your product or solution works. And it just, we just try to remove all the friction. That's the word that keeps coming up from a lot of the CEOs that we work with or, or business owners that we work with is like, I just need to get an answer to something that's in my mind. Maybe I'm ready to buy, maybe I'm not. But if I have to get on a call just to get the answer, it, it turns them off about the brand, actually, unless it's a big, big, big name company that may have uh, the only solution they need. Well, the, what's striking me about the buyers you're interacting with is they already have so much confidence in that what they've got in their mind will solve their problem. And I think particularly in the space caliber mine is in with revenue analytics and whatnot, a lot of people have been burned and don't really trust as much that the demo request is more about fielding questions to see whether or not your product really does what it does. And I think that's when a free trial is probably more advantageous is, mm -hmm. is, I mean, I totally agree with your point on offering expertise and solutions to even smaller problems up front to establish yourself as an expert, which is really necessary in a, in a, an area where people have a lot of skepticism as well. I'm just thinking through Maybe it's my belief in the demo that is leading me to think that it's solving a problem that maybe it's not, you know, now that I'm saying all this out loud. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. 
And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. Caliber Mind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with CaliberMind at CaliberMind.com. Yeah, I think you, you can use a demo to solve the problem. I think sales sometimes uses the demo to open an opportunity or provide some sort of validation to their pipeline. And, you know, I've been in, I've been in and around sales, managed a lot of salespeople in my mortgage company back in the day. And if you ask somebody about their pipeline, salespeople always make more opportunities, have more opportunities in their pipeline than they're ever going to close because they miss, they miss, they, they, they labeled it the wrong way. And so I agree with demos being good uh, product fit, uh, client, good product client fit discussions, problem product fit discussions. And I think it's if and only if that fit is is good, should we then qualify it as an opportunity, right? Yeah. And I, I I agree with that all day. I think in my experience with software purchases in particular, where, where it required a demo, is they didn't list they only listened long enough to figure out if if they were just walking me through BAM, right? And BAM, mm-hmm. I love BAM, I get it. But I wonder if they had listened a little bit closer. And this is what I talk to people about in that are we really there to listen and understand and see if we can help first. And if our product is great, great. If our product or service isn't great, great. And in my agency, about 98 out of 100 people that inquire are not going to hire my agency and they're not even ready to hire my agency. So if I get on a call, I can't get on there with this idea that everybody is a prospect that is ready to buy or hire us, I get on there with the idea of saying, tell me what's hurting in your world right now. And listen, if it's not us, let us help you get the resource that you need. Because unfortunately, as you probably know, we get off of a demo call maybe or consultation call, whatever it may be. And if you're not a good fit or that pro- that customer's not a good fit for your product, and then you just leave them to go wander down the digital street they get take you so you you and I were talking about it. they get taken advantage of they they don't know what they don't know so look at it as an opportunity to help your brand by the way i love the the use of a demo call and a and a strategy session consultation call if done right you can get referrals from the person who never bought from you if you treat that call the right way right i've had more people <laughs> say, we don't understand how you guys make so much money giving away so much information for free from the people that never bought. And it's because we treat them like with the problem that they had when they came in the door, just because they can't buy our service doesn't mean we shouldn't give them the answers to the questions. So I think there's just a different mindset that I've approached it with. And we try to look at, can we meet them where they are? Can we understand where they're at? If they need us, great. Let's show them how it works. If it's a product, if it's the if it's software and look at the demo as an opportunity to build a relationship first, I believe in something called return on relationships, not just return on investment. See, so if you get a chance and we get on the phone, I have now a chance to build a relationship. And if in fact, you know, 200 people that could buy or, or use what I do, then it take, it's better for me to treat you right. Whether you buy from me or not. Cause I, I just have lived in this idea of return on relationship, not just return on investment, which is, how good is the demo page converting, right? 
Yeah, no, I just keep nodding emphatically, which I know people can't see, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the empathy in your, like everything you say is just resonating so much because I'm hearing a lot of dissatisfaction on LinkedIn and other business publications with how dry B2B marketing is and how it's pretty dehumanized. It's not really speaking to the people and your emphasis this entire time really has been figure out the problem they're trying to solve. And if we do that, <laughs> I mean, isn't it much easier to engage with them in the first place? Yeah. I ask people all the time when I'm first talking to a company, CEO, head of marketing, whatever it is. And I say, walk me through the conversation your ideal customer is having with themselves at 11 o'clock at night when they can't sleep and they'd like to be asleep. And you would be surprised. And I, I say it a couple of different ways. Let's start there. Because if they tell me the marketing's not working or the ads aren't working or the conversions aren't working or the emails aren't working, I'll say to them, let's talk about what your client's saying to themselves at 11 o'clock at night. What's keeping them up when they'd rather be asleep? And so we'll walk backwards because they always get in this, our product does this, or our service does that, or we're the best at this, or we're the best at that, or whatever, whatever. Features, advantages, and benefits. And nobody gives a rip about your features, advantages, or benefits unless they know how those things are going to help them because everybody's tuned in to the same radio station. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and <laughs> so so let's reverse what's keeping them up at night. And if we know that, then we can ask questions more appropriately when we open a demo call. For example, if you and I have one, Kamala, listen, my clients typically tell us when they come to a call like this that they're usually struggling with one, two or three things. What made you jump on this call today? And if I really know you or I really know that my what my ideal customer is struggling with, they're going to start bobbleheading on the call and we're going yep. <laughs> to, we're going to be in great. And so if we don't do that work, we could turn demo calls into magical sales moments, of course, but it does take just sitting in the seat of where they are and the pain that they'd like to solve that your product or solution can help them solve and helping them bridge that gap. And if they can see that the demo call does turn into a sales call. And, and by all means, we still have to do that because if you're buying something high ticket and you don't have a checkout, uh, paywall, then you're going to need a demo call. Okay. So inevitably, and I've had this happen at every company I've been at, sales team comes over to me as marketer and says, we want more demo requests. What What are the first things as a marketer we should either be asking ourselves or digging into to understand that request? I hear that request a lot. I hear the friction. You know, we talk about marketing and sales alignment all the time. The first thing I'm going to do is is... It, depending on my relationship with the, the salesperson, I'm going to go and we're going to look at the uh, disposition of the last 30, 60, 90 days of demo calls. And you have to be careful at walk a fine line. There has to be someone who understands both sides to really do this because a salesperson tries to act like, well, every deal, I close every deal that, that is a real good deal. But in reality, here's what I've learned. I didn't come up with this statistic and I'm, I don't even want to quote the statistic, but here's an approximate. Only 10 to 15% of the people that inquire at the demo slash sales consultation, whatever that lower level inquiry is, are even going to buy your product or service or solution in the next 30, 60, or 90 days. So that's one number. 
The second part though, and to your point of the salespeople, what do you say to them is we wonder, did you know though, that there are another 35% of those people who will buy between the next 90 days and 12 months. So we're wondering if I need more demo requests, well, what do we do? I'm making a number up. What do we do with the other 35 that we know are going to do something? Because the study that was done, it was a retail agency, but the number's been done so many years that it's, it just indicated human behavior. A lot of times we, that, that salesperson is asking for more demo requests. It, what they're really saying is that I don't have a nurturing sequence in place. I'm not staying top of mind. Either the, and maybe the business doesn't enable the salesperson to handle the drip process and the follow-up process. It tells me they're not using their CRM effectively because, listen, I know for a fact that if you're struggling with something I can solve, I know that the statistics say one out of two are going to interact with my solution, whether it's with me or somebody else. As a salesperson, guess whose job it is to make sure it's me? It's mine. And if I know that the vast majority are not going to transact today, then I don't have any pressure in the call anymore. Now the pressure is in what, what's in my follow-up sequencing of when, when I'm going to follow up with them, when I'm going to stay in touch. Here's what I typically get. I get the demo call, demo request, or the strategy session, and then I get a barrage of emails or a barrage of phone calls. <laughs> or I take the trial for 30 days, and then I never hear a word. Oh, that blows my mind so every time it happens. Two. Yeah. It's one yeah. of two extremes. I either get the pounding of the sales process or I get nothing. And you just left me a viable buyer to go find someone else who met me where I was when I was ready. And it happens in almost, almost every kind of business. And so the salesperson, A, let's talk about your pipeline. Um, let's see if, so I don't have an exact for that particular scenario if it's software, but that's generally what I find. The salesperson's probably being lazy. <laughs> well, yeah. But at, Sometimes. At the, yeah. But at the same time, we rely on them so much more for um, prospecting and keeping people in the loop, especially if somebody hasn't proactively opted into an email sequence. Mm, okay. So maybe like what I'm hearing is there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate with the sales team. Marketing has been doing email marketing much longer. Maybe we pass along best practices. Maybe we say, hey, why don't we sit down and look at your follow-up sequence, make sure it's in line with uh, industry best practices. Or maybe we make sure as marketing that we're also covering those people. I don't know what the right answer there is, but the complete lack of content attacked makes me nervous, but so does the hammering somebody. It is. There's an interesting balance, right? So one other thing we could do, if we go back to the marketing side, and I, I like what your point was, and it made me think of something. If we as marketers can maybe keep demo requests from being demo requests until they're really demo requests, that is, <laughs> right? If, if maybe, maybe we needed a step in the process that would set someone up more appropriately for a demo call, which would help the salesperson get more qualified leads who are maybe closer to a buying decision. And then maybe keep the ones that are, because listen, at the end of the day, demo requests, free consultation, free strategy sessions are all, the consumer kind of knows I'm going to get on the call and get some information. There's no pressure to buy. I'm probably going to be given a sales pitch, but I don't really have to buy. I don't really have to make a, a, a transaction. So the question might be, is what else could we get them to interact with 
before they get on and waste time with our salesperson Absolutely. because it is everybody's time is valuable and thinking maybe what is that other interaction prior to the demo call that could be helpful. Uh, maybe it's them watching a video of a partial demo. Who knows? And maybe it is watching a pre-recorded video. By the way, the statistics we're working under right now say that decision makers won't spend more than 15 minutes on a pre-recorded anything, let alone a 60-minute webinar. So we're advising that our clients. surprise me at all. <laughs> it's just, you know, and think about YouTube culture right now, right? YouTube yep. culture is basically under 15 minutes. Absolutely. And I call it, you know, people go to YouTube University and you, whether they go there or whether YouTube University shows up on the front page of Google because Google owns YouTube, of course. But people go through these long search queries, which are those things that keep them up at night, and they're going to get to a page or a video. And it's under 15 minutes in most cases. And so I, we think that that's where the sweet spot is. And then GoToWebinar released a study some time ago, and then I did something on LinkedIn Although not that I, my study on LinkedIn was indicative of the world, but people thought 30 minutes for any type of live webinar presentation was the sweet spot. And I think that, um, when we put uh, video analytics on different types of videos, we're seeing shorter videos, sort of micro content, not TikTok, of course, but micro content that's in this five to six, seven minutes, give them something that's going to help them is where that sweet spot is. But yeah, so maybe we can put something in front of the demo that slows them down from the demo until they're really ready to make that transition. So, but it really is obviously case by case for the type of business case. That makes a ton of sense. And I'm thinking back to your feedback from that buyer about, I want to know about pricing. Why is it so hard? So maybe, you know, determining whether or not you've priced them out of your solution upfront is a really helpful thing to do. So you, <laughs> that was, so this mastermind, I was on the hot seat and I, I say I got beat up, but it's a healthy group and we're all there to give each other great feedback. And the reality was two or three of them in my breakout session said, why do I have to talk to you? One is the CEO of a $5 million company. The other one's the CEO of a $3 million company. And they're like, why do I have to talk to you? Why? Just explain why. And I couldn't. <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> so I yeah. went back to my team. I went back to my team and I was like, Hey, you guys. Let... So because we were doing it the same way everybody else was doing it. Yeah. See, we were yeah. doing it the same way everybody else was doing it. Yeah. And we're still, and we're still not done refining it, but we were doing it the way, cause everybody else does free consultations. That's why we're doing them. Yep. Yep. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of paid advertising and a lot of other things, you know, like, do you have your systems tied up so you know they're working or do you just know they work for other people? Right. Right. Question. And the thing is, you can use the same mechanisms, but still make it good for your business. Meaning, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting because once you're, if you're a startup and you don't have data, this is a different conversation, but mm -hmm. I'm 11 years in a company. I have enough data. I know in the heck how people buy what I sell and what we do. The question is, is hmm, if their feedback is valid and I take it as such, then let's answer the call for what they said their pain point was working with companies like mine or, or even bigger solutions, bigger enterprise solutions. The comment was the same. Why do I have to meet with you? In this case, uh, it was Shopify, uh, big commerce or Shopify, Shopify's big ticket thing. And he says, I don't know why I have to meet with them. I already know it's going to cost 25 or 2,600 bucks a month. I just want to buy it. Because we want to convince you that it's worth the investment is not the right <laughs> answer, but that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. And so the friction 
and the comments they made in different scenarios, you know, I, I actually took a, a point. I was like, yeah, well, Tesla, it's a mass market product. So people understand cars. And the answer was, that's not acceptable. It's a hundred and whatever thousand dollars. Why do I have to buy? Why do I have to talk to you if I don't talk to them? That's a really good question. And so that's interesting. Those are the questions. And this is the sophistication of where we are today. None of this yeah. is novel anymore. Sure, there's a laggard organ, there's a laggard consumer. Uh, if we look at the diffusion of innovation curve, I love to use in conversations about how consumers evolve through buying cycles and new product development, not just the development of product development. And there's this early adopter, the early, you know, uh, innovators, early adopters, uh, early majority, late majority and laggards. And there are going to be some consumers that are on the laggard side of it, and they are going to need more of that handholding. But if you're selling something high ticket, high value, and you really need to sell it at, at, a, at a, a bigger decision level, you've got to assume that your buyer is more on the early majority and innovator side of things and they just don't want to have to deal with the minutiae of the details because they probably have done all the research and that's what we're hearing that's what we're seeing and so it just depends on where your product fits with the buyers and does your buyer is your product for the laggard buyer mm -hmm. or is it really for the early majority innovator buyer and that's the other distinction because as we all know our product isn't necessarily for everyone, yep. even though everyone may be able to purchase it. Yeah. Daryl, this has been so much fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate Thank it. So it's, much. it's always fun. Always fun talking to really great uh, marketers and, and really just trying to solve the, the thinking process of, of how to do better. Because that's all we're here. You know, that's all we do, right? Try to figure it out to make it better for everybody involved, our teams and, and our consumers. So you mentioned LinkedIn. Where else can people find you online? Uh, well, since you're listening to uh, this show, uh, I also have a podcast called The MindShift Podcast. So to make it easy, if you just uh, look up The MindShift Podcast with Daryl Evans on whatever uh, uh, podcast platform you're listening to Calma on, uh, you can find our show. And if you're of interest, if it's of interest, uh, we'd love to have you listen. Once again, thank you for getting the Revenue Marketing Report to Season 2. If you have any feedback or would like to send in some suggestions for guests, please contact us at hello at calibermind.com. Also, I'm going to repeat what tons of podcasters tell you all the time, but it really does make a difference. Please rate and review and tell at least two friends about this podcast if you enjoy it. And finally, for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.